You're listening to the Candida Chronicles with your host, Dr. Jeff McCombs. Welcome to the Candida Chronicles, a podcast where we learn all about Candida and how to safely and effectively treat it. I'm Dr. Jeff McCombs, and I'll be your host for today's episode on Candida Diets and Sugars. Okay, uh, well, candida diets and sugars. Sugars are like the big no-no when it comes to candida diets, if you listen to most people. And that includes most carbohydrates. But that information isn't exactly accurate, and it's not exactly healthy. Um, in today's episode, we really look at the effects of sugars in a candida diet. And when you look at the effects of sugars, you also have to consider the whole body. I've written about this several times on my blog. Um, in the typical candida diet, sugars are eliminated completely. And for most people, that means they try to eliminate all carbohydrates as well. Uh, in my plan, the candida plan, uh, sugars in the form of whole fruit and complex carbohydrates are allowed, with the possible exception of people who have blood sugar imbalances, such as diabetes, hypoglycemia, insulin resistance, um, instances where they can't regulate their blood sugar very well, and that creates other problems to be considered. Again, if you look at most candida diets that are out there today, uh, they address candida in the human body as though it were isolated by itself in a test tube, and so when you're addressing candida, it doesn't really matter what else you may be doing to the body, you're just focusing on candida. But when you do that and you exclude the rest of the body and your consideration of how you're going to address this, then you can actually be uh, making a big mistake and causing more problems than if you were to consider the body as a whole and part of a holistic approach to addressing candida. So where did this idea of eliminating sugars in a candida diet come from? Uh, we've talked about it before. The original candida diet is credited as having been uh, created by Dr. Orion Truss uh, back in uh, the late uh, 50s, 60s. Um, his book came out, I believe, in the 70s. Um, that dietary protocol is, by and large, what most anti-candida diets out there are based on. And uh, ever since um, he created this, Despite years and years of new research and uh, new understanding, not only on candida, but on the body as a whole, um, this particular version that he created has become the norm for most candida diets. Uh, in fact, most people are so polarized around maintaining this particular diet structure that they're not willing to look at anything else, and they actually consider it sort of a sacrilege that he would mention having any type of carbohydrates on a candida diet. Um, but here's what you should consider when looking at doing any candida diet in terms of sugars. First of all, the person that states that all sugars are bad has not read the science, is not up to date on the science, and really is exposing how very little they know about the human body. Um, as well as about all the research that's been taking place in the last 40, 50 years. Um, in fact, someone who demonizes all carbs on a candida diet is really more or less revealing themselves as somebody who doesn't know and is probably somebody whose advice you don't want to follow. 
and uh, we can kind of look at some of the, the reasons behind that. Um, along with this dietary protocol that was created by Dr. Truss, he used the medication Nystatin to treat Candida albicans. And as we've talked about before in the, one of the previous episodes on Candida diets and medications, um, medications present additional limitations and they present many, many problems uh, and complications that have to be dealt with. Uh, now, Dr. Truss had good success with his anti-Candida diet, but the effectiveness of his approach from the very beginning was limited due to the inability of Nystatin to treat Candida systemically, as he readily acknowledged. Um, his knowledge and clinical observations led to creating a dietary protocol that restricted sugars and other carbohydrates. Yet, even when he had done that, he placed more emphasis on the effect of Nystatin than he did on the carbohydrate reduction. Um, I don't completely agree with that. I, I believe reducing carbohydrates does have a role, but you do it in such a way that you're not depleting the entire rest of the body. So you have to consider the rest of the body as a whole in any approach. Um, we have to remember that candida doesn't exist in an isolated sphere uh, where you can do something to it and not affect other tissues and cells of the body. Um, we also want to uh, look at the environment it's in, how it responds to that environment, as well as how the environment responds to it. And so we're talking about the human body. How is it responding to its particular environment in the human body? What's the human body doing in response to candida being there? This would be a more holistic or whole assessment of candida in the body. Uh, again, too many people view candida as independent of the body, and its functions and needs and abilities. So the area of diet and carbohydrates are a good example of this. Uh, based on Dr. Truss's dietary protocol, many people are overly emphatic about eliminating all carbohydrates. Um, and that isn't to say there isn't good evidence supporting reducing candida's access to simple sugars, but on the whole, trying to reduce all carbohydrates creates other problems and limitations. Most Candida sites emphasize limiting all carbohydrates, as I've said, and um, the rationale for this is that the fungus, the candida fungus, thrives on carbohydrates, which it can up to a certain point. Um, but if you try to eliminate all the carbohydrates, then you create other problems. For instance, all the cells of the body require carbohydrates, so restricting carbohydrates can affect their function. Not only do they require it, but they can absorb it quite quickly and effectively, something few people seem to consider when it comes to the topic of carbohydrates and candida. Your brain requires large amounts of sugars. Muscles require sugars. The immune system requires sugars. Every cell requires sugars. So what are we doing to the body if we decide we're going to heavily restrict all carbohydrates on a candida diet? Um, let's look at three studies that did look at that. Uh, the first of these studies states that after four weeks, weight loss diets that were high in protein but reduced in total carbohydrates and fiber resulted in significant decrease in fecal cancer-protective metabolites and increased the concentrations of hazardous metabolites. And then they go on to conclude that long-term adherence to such diets may increase the risk of colonic disease. So you're increasing the can you're decreasing the cancer protective metabolites but increasing 
concentrations of hazardous metabolites um, um, after even after four weeks of a um, uh, significantly restricted carbohydrate diet. Um, the typical candida diet that the majority of websites push is just not a healthy diet. When we look at another study, it states that under energy-restricted conditions, a short-term, low-carbohydrate diet, so this is just a short-term one, much like the previous study in just four weeks, a short-term, low-carbohydrate diet lowered the stool weight and had detrimental effects on the concentration and excretion of fecal short-chain fatty acids compared with a high-carbohydrate diet. So short-chain fatty acids or fatty acids that are produced by cells in the intestinal tract. And these short-chain fatty acids have a protective effect and healing effect on the rest of the cells of the intestinal tract. So by going on a short-term, low-carbohydrate diet, we're decreasing the amount of these beneficial fatty acids that are being produced in the body. And they go on to state that this suggests that the long-term consumption of a low-carbohydrate diet may increase the risk of development of gastrointestinal disorders. So again, I've seen this where they state it may increase leaky gut, may increase inflammation, may increase the occurrence of inflammatory uh, disorders such as IBD, inflammatory bowel disease, etc. A uh, third study states a low-carbohydrate diet has been shown to affect white blood cell function as well as the health of intestinal cells. White blood cells, especially neutrophils, engulf candida cells in a process called phagocytosis. So phagocytosis of candida is an energy-requiring mechanism that is inhibited by an inadequate supply of glucose. So they state it was concluded that phagocytosis was an energy-requiring process in which glycolysis served as the most important source of energy. So utilizing sugars to support the function, the, the phagocytic function of white blood cells, their ability to engulf candida cells. And neutrophils, uh, the ones that they looked at, are really the most effective white blood cell against candida. So you're decreasing their ability to fight off a candida infection by going on a low-carbohydrate diet. So those are three studies that looked at the effect of low-carbohydrate diets in the body, and it doesn't look good. They're, so when we look at candida, you can't consider that it's in a test tube by itself, and what you do to the body is not going to affect anything in the body but candida. But a lot of people have that point of view when it even comes to many of the approaches that are used to treat candida. Um, now, diabetics and people with blood sugar regulation issues, um, such as hypoglycemia, insulin resistance, uh, they may be absorbing less sugar, causing higher elevations of sugar in the blood. And we know from the research that diabetics are more prone to fungal candida infections because of this. But to just take that and apply it across the board to all people in all health states doesn't work. If you look at specifically hypoglycemia where you have low blood sugar, so um, actually having carbohydrates on the diet might actually help you on a candida diet um, because we, we know the immune system is suppressed by low blood sugar. It's suppressed by high blood sugar and it's suppressed by low blood sugar. So there has to be a happy medium in there where you can 
address candida, but you also have to take into consideration the rest of the body. Again, candida does not exist in a test tube, so you can't be treating it that way. Um, candida is commonly associated with chronic intestinal inflammatory diseases, as I mentioned, such as IBS, IBD, Crohn's, leaky gut, colitis. Uh, in fact, candida uses inflammation to help it spread throughout the body. And a low-carbohydrate diet can be detrimental or bad for the intestinal lining because of reduced production of short-chain fatty acids by the cells in the colon. So the short-chain fatty acids, or you look at those to be anti-inflammatory, where candida is pro-inflammatory. Uh, short-chain fatty acids, such as butyrate, are responsible for maintaining the health of the intestinal cells and decreasing inflammation. Um, and short-chain fatty acids are derived from carbohydrates. So a low-carbohydrate diet causes changes that predispose someone to hazardous metabolites, cancer, inflammation, leaky gut, etc. But there's also another problem with low-carbohydrate diets. Um, if you try to, although I don't really think you can do this, in the human body at least, because of candida's amazing abilities, but if you were tr to try and starve candida out of the body, which is really what this approach of a low-carbohydrate diet is designed to do, um, this can be problematic because starvation is actually one of the known triggers that causes the normal yeast form of candida to convert to its problematic pathogenic fungal form. So if you're trying to starve it, you're actually going to encourage it to grow and spread throughout the body. Um, this is also shown in other studies. Uh, here's a study um, by Calderon et al. They said starvation of yeast cells induces exponentially grown cells. So it's not just they just grow a little, they grow exponentially. And this phenomenon is also observed in cells that are transiently treated with some type of metabolic inhibitor. So if you're trying to treat it with something, but you're starving it, you're actually causing this massive growth of candida to take place. And you're also increasing its ability to adhere, its signaling ability, its virulent mechanisms. So, um, I mean, it's just much, much like you and I. If someone came and took all the food out of our house, we'd go shopping. So candida does that. It spreads to its fungal form because the fungal form is the most effective way it can spread through the body and grow and penetrate the tissues and then get the nutrients it needs from our tissues, our cells. Uh, but again, remember that glucose is necessary for the function of all the cells and tissues in the body. But the microbiome, which we're discovering more and more about, all the bacteria that make up the bacteria of the gut, the 100 trillion cells of the intestinal tract, they also require glucose. They also require the carbohydrates. And they also compete for these carbohydrates as a fuel source. So when you eat carbohydrates, your, your body cells are competing for it. And that's what, anywhere from 10 to 30 trillion cells of the human body. You have 100 trillion bacterial cells competing for it. And then you have the candida cells. So it's not, again, like candida is in a test tube by itself. So you have all this competitive inhibition, all these other cells and organisms competing for it. So you have to remember that you want them to be healthy. You want them to be present. You want to uh, be feeding them because they have all these beneficial effects. So if you take all their fuel away, then their benefits are decreased as well. And it's not, you know, it's not something that's going to turn out good for anybody, um, as we've seen from the... As we've seen from, uh, 
the studies that I've read and also what I've observed uh, clinically in my practice. But, uh, I mean, we have the science that shows that it doesn't work. And what we see from this evidence is that candida cannot be treated as though it existed separate from the body. You have to treat the whole body, not just candida. Uh, the candida plant, which is our dietary protocol, we've always allowed fruit except for oranges. Oranges tend to be higher in histamine, tend to promote more inflammation, stronger immune, um, mucosal cell responses, so we try to avoid that. Um, but that being said, if someone has a problem regulating their own blood sugar, some type of blood sugar regulation issues such as hypoglycemia, insulin resistance, or diabetes, fruit probably won't work that well for them on the plan. They can't regulate the blood sugar, so they probably just don't. It, what I've seen, it just doesn't work as well. So you have to, in those individuals, you may have to restrict uh, the access to fruit. It may that you just have to restrict the access to fruit that's uh, more rapidly turned into, into sugar in the bloodstream, so the high glycemic fruits. Um, but sometimes it has to be all. It just depends on the severity of, their, of the problem, the issue of their ability to regulate their own blood sugar. Uh, however, we do have a protocol, our blood sugar protocol, and we found this to be very effective so that we can do this along with the candida plan. And if someone follows this protocol for four months, then this will correct their hypoglycemic issues and they'll help to correct their blood sugar issues. And whereas in the past I would use supplements and they can be effective, but you have to constantly take supplements, I found that using our blood sugar protocol works very well. And the way the protocol is set up is that you would you try to eat a handful, a little small handful of food every 45 to 60 minutes. 60 minutes usually works best. And uh, what we typically recommend is just a, a little one-third of a celery stick um, for people to eat. It's easy to prep, easy to carry with you, doesn't really go bad. Um, and you eat that every hour of the day. So if you get up at 7 a.m., you have one at 7 a.m. And then you get ready, you have breakfast maybe at 8 a.m. And an hour later, you have a celery stick. An hour later, you have a celery stick hour later you're having maybe lunch and then an hour later celery stick so you do that throughout the day and you can substitute you know, it could be um, a third of a carrot stick uh, it could be uh, some avocado uh, it could be protein uh, but as long as you're getting a little small handful of something uh, every hour of the day and if you do this day after day after day it really brings the blood sugar balance back into the body and we've seen it uh, reliably correct uh, hypoglycemia and that's important because if your body goes into hypoglycemia and dips into these low blood sugar lows, that creates a lot of inflammation in the body. It throws off the nervous system, throws off the adrenals, affects um, your immune system, affects your hormones. So it can have a very wide effect in the body as you're dipping into these hypoglycemic episodes and you're most likely not going to be aware of it. Um, when you are aware of it, when you go too long in one of these episodes, that's when you start to get uh, shaky, weak, irritable, moody, headaches, some, some type of an effect like that. And again, this is something we commonly see in, with candida. And candida is known to create a lot of blood sugar problems. So we have people follow the blood sugar protocol if this type of what's called reactive hypoglycemia is present. Um, and it helps to correct that. So uh, to summarize, human cells metabolize sugars quite rapidly, effectively. Um, so do all the 100 trillion bacteria in the body. Carbohydrates are needed for healthy production of butyrate and other short-chain fatty acids that are necessary for maintaining intestinal health and decreasing inflammation. Um, adequate fuel, glycose, uh, glucose, sugars, 
etc. are required for normal function of the white blood cells. Again, too much is bad, too little is bad as well. Uh, starvation is one of the triggers for the conversion of candida from its normal yeast form to its pathogenic fungal form. Um, but in all of this, if you do have blood sugar issues, fruit may not work for you on the candida plan. But we've had the plan has been around for 23 years and for the most part with most everybody, um, they do fine on fruit, they always have. And when you look at the, uh, the science behind the rationale of doing it this way, you see there's a lot of science that shows we do not want to eliminate all carbohydrates. And instead of treating candida as it exists in a test tube, we consider the rest of the body as a whole. Um, so these are, if you go to uh, our candidaplan.com forward slash blog, we have um, this series of candida diets and sugars and candida diets and medications and other approaches is all there. And you'll find the science listed um, from the studies that I've uh, read to you today. Okay, so let's see. Um, each week I'd like to present some information that may relate to candida, may relate to the health of the body as a whole or something. And I, there's a lot of good research always coming out. Um, and there's never a lack of research. Uh, the, the books that we thought were gospel, um, the human body are constantly being rewritten. Um, technology is advancing, we're learning more about the body. Um, but we did have a good one that came in uh, just today, and this was in relationship to candida. So the title of this study was The Effect of Asymptomatic Vaginal Colonization with Candida Albicans on Pregnancy Outcomes. So in their study, they're looking at how does candida affect the outcome of pregnancies? And especially what they're looking at are women who have no signs or symptoms of candida. They're asymptomatic. There's, there's nothing. They would not know they had it, but it's there, it's present, and it creates problems. What the study found was that 13.5% of pregnant women had asymptomatic candida infections, which predisposed them to preterm delivery and low birth weight babies. So you may think 13.5% is not a, much, not a lot, but that also tends to, when, when you have that there, that signifies that there are other, there's also an imbalance in the bacterial flora, so that's going to affect all those tissues. They concluded that recurrent asymptomatic, I don't know how they got this, because if it's asymptomatic, you're not really going to know it's recurrent, because it's just there. So asymptomatic vaginal colonization with candida in pregnancy is associated with preterm delivery and low birth weight. And they recommend here routine screening and consequent treatment for candidiasis could improve pregnancy outcomes. So that's sort of a blanket statement. So it may become something down the road where they screened all women for candidiasis or uh, pregnant women for candidiasis. But I'm concerned as to how they would treat them because the medications are horrendous and lots of toxicity and uh, stuff you don't even want to get in, but stuff we covered in our um, one of our previous episodes on candida diets and medications. Um, but uh, this is something that many people aren't aware of. When it comes to candida, they're like, oh, I don't have any symptoms, I don't have any signs. Well, most of the time we, we kind of dismiss signs and symptoms anyways. But uh, quite a few people who have candida are, a, candida are asymptomatic. Um, in, in a study uh, that was done in 2007, they said, uh, organisms such as candida albicans are able to persistently colonize the host without causing symptoms. Uh, 
uh, in another study uh, where they looked at, uh, I think this was in 1980, they looked at the uh, carriage or the uh, infestation of yeast pathogens or fungal pathogens. Um, and you have to understand that many times when they say yeast, they mean fungus. So, But here it says, the carriage of yeast pathogens and serum precipitins to a variety of candida and antigens. So the bodies, these are things, substances produced by candida that the body would react to and, and create an allergic response. Um, where they looked at 254 patients and they said it generally tended to increase with the length of the patient's stay in the hospital. So the longer you're in the hospital, the more likely it is that you'll start to uh, um, be a carrier of a candida infection. Well, that just goes hand in hand with antibiotics and antibiotics are given to everybody in hospitals. So um, it's really likely that you're just gonna start having candida infections. And then they go on to state that this trend was observed even though none None of the patients investigated show signs or, or symptoms of superficial or systemic candidosis. So in the medical literature, they look at superficial as being what I would call systemic. Uh, when they say systemic, they're looking at uh, systemic bloodborne infections. So a little bit different understanding. Um, but uh, here we show no, none of the patients, none of the 254 patients, even though uh, as, they, as their length of stay in the hospital increased, they became carriers of fungal candida or candida. Didn't really differentiate whether that was actually yeast or the fungal form. Um, but obviously, being the longer you're in the hospital, uh, the more likely it is you're going to carry candida, but none of these patients had any signs or symptoms of it. Uh, if we look at another study from 2004, it quotes a 15 to 25% rate of asymptomatic colonization in healthy adults or adolescents, and especially the high asymptomatic vaginal fungal burden in adolescents. So these studies just support really, the reason I bring them up is that they support the, uh, the study that came in today that shows that uh, asymptomatic colonization by candida can affect the outcome of pregnancies. Um, this is something we've seen in terms of women and pregnancy. Um, over the, the past 23 years, uh, we've had over 54 women come to us who were diagnosed as infertile, and they would start the candida plan, and they would go on to conceive babies. So women who were diagnosed as infertile would do the plan, would change the uh, composition of the bacterial flora, convert the fungal form back to the yeast form so we have normal healthy yeast levels, and that would change how their body responded, and they were then able to go on and become pregnant. Um, and this really shows me that candida can have a significant impact on pregnancies. Uh, we've seen it time and time again. We're going to continue to see it. And, you know, now you're starting to see um, in, the, in the research, as the, the case we just mentioned that came in today, that, um, you know, it's starting to be noted that candida can affect the outcome of pregnancies. So if you're thinking of getting pregnant, you really want to correct fungal candida imbalances in the body to improve birth outcomes. And uh, how I qualify that further is if you've ever had antibiotics, you'll have systemic fungal candida, what they, I think, refer to as superficial fungal candida. Um, and it may be that it's even uh, asymptomatic, so you won't know you have it. But if you've had antibiotics, believe me, you'll have it. Okay, so um, another thing I like to look at are just to provide some examples of... Uh, people who we've treated and um, to look at uh, different various uh, factors of, of what we've been able to help them with. And um, this, uh, we have two 
case studies, so let's call them today. The first patient uh, came to us, he was overweight, uh, had high blood sugar, high blood pressure, joint pain, high cholesterol, um, he had gas, bloating, indigestion, uh, you know, he was a little moody, not as much energy. Um, he had a long history of antibiotic use and a lot of this all just sort of popped up after he had taken antibiotics recently. So he had uh, had them in the past and then he had another uh, reason for taking them. I don't really recall what that was. Um, but what we saw, it wasn't just from taking the antibiotics, it wasn't just one thing, it was several things. Uh, he went back to his MD um, who did blood work that showed high blood sugar, high cholesterol, so that was confirmed in the blood work. And the MD wanted to, of course, place him immediately on medications. And he said, no, you know, let me just, uh, let me wait, let me change my diet a little bit. Um, uh, we had treated his wife before and she had had success, so she was, based on how he was feeling, he sort of reluctantly decided to come see us, and we've seen that many times. Um, so we uh, placed him on the Candida plan, and um, we saw all of these areas improve. He lost weight, his cholesterol normalized, his blood sugar normalized, his blood, sh uh, blood pressure normalized, his joint pains went away, his digestion improved, and he had a lot of energy. He felt like he had much, much more energy, um, which was something very beneficial to him. Uh, he's an actor, and uh, he needs to be able to um, manifest a lot of energy on the spot uh, from day to day. Um, but when you study what antibiotics and candida can do in the body, this all makes sense. His body was able to reverse the antibiotic-induced problems. Uh, he didn't try to kill candida, he just corrected it back to its normal healthy levels. And, you know, this is, this is a very typical case for us, something that we see quite often. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it just helps to illustrate that, you know, antibiotics can create a lot of problems. And then um, if you just address reversing those effects of antibiotics, you can get rid of all these problems. You don't have to go to just managing them through medications. Um, the second case study is actually, this is a brand new one. This one is days old. It's, it's in process. But I just kind of want to bring it up for, I mean, some of the same reasons. Uh, this was a woman who came to us this week. Um, like the first patient, patient, she had had numerous rounds of antibiotics in her life. Um, she had had some digestive gas, bloating, and some, I think, lower abdominal cramping, which is what uh, took her to the MD. Um, he immediately prescribed antibiotics without ever testing to see if there were any infections that the antibiotics would be effective against. Just prescribed antibiotics. Um, and of course, just again, this is a violation of the 2003 FDA mandate that states that every physician in the United States must first test and confirm that a bacterial infection even exists prior to prescribing antibiotics. And this mandate is something that was wisely put out there as, as a way to try and decrease the amount of antibiotic resistance that's being developed on a daily basis and now why they estimate 50 million people will die from antibiotic-resistant infections uh, by 2050. So once they identify the bacteria, then they must test whichever antibiotics they're going to recommend against that particular bacterial infection to see which antibiotic will be the most effective, or if any of them are effective. And this is never done, and this was never done with this woman. So she was just given, it's just sort of a knee-jerk thing, they just throw antibiotics at people. So she was given the antibiotics, um, she took them, and uh, it helped her condition a little bit at first, and then it came back worse. 
and this is that, that rebound infection that you're going to see as you develop antibiotic resistant strains which now grow and you've wiped out the rest of the bacteria so there's nothing to prevent these antibiotic resistant strains from growing as well as you get the overgrowth of fungal candida. And this gave her nonstop itchiness of her ears and the skin around her throat. And then her throat started to swell. She went back to the doctor, he gave her more antibiotics. Um, so then the, the swelling increased, the itching never went away. And this woman went from 115 pounds down to 85 pounds. Very, 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 very thin build, obviously. She didn't have a lot. Uh, I'd say she was probably about 5'4", five, 5'5". Five, five. So she lost a significant amount of weight. And she just was not able to really eat food anymore. Her throat was constantly swollen. Um, I believe they did a scope. They tested her out. And all they said was, well, your throat is swollen. That's why you're having difficulty swallowing pills. Food. Uh, nothing that she wasn't really aware of, you know. But this is kind of sometimes what you get when you, when you get the results of these tests. Is You knew that. That's why you were there in the first place. Uh, so... She was given more antibiotics. She subsequently started having joint pains, hormonal imbalances. And she went back to her doctor and she said, you know, nothing's working. Um, I can't eat. I've lost 30 pounds. I don't have any energy. And he decided, well, you know, what you need are antidepressants because you're depressed. That's really your problem. And um, when she asked about all the other problems, you know, how is this, you know, he just stared at her. That was it. That was his response. He just stared at her. He did not give her an answer. Um, so, I mean, and that's, that's not new. It's not, I mean, we've heard that many, many times before. But after inducing all of these problems in this woman, he had no answer for her but to uh, simply state that she was depressed and prescribe her more medication. And antidepressants are, are by many considerations, more dangerous than antibiotics. Um, I mean, they can cause suicidal tendencies. They can cause further depression. I mean, these aren't, these aren't just drugs you just give to anybody. I mean, you would really want to qualify and quantify that this person actually had depression. You know, she tried to tell him, I'm not depressed. And, you know, he, he didn't really care. But, you know, I just, as she told me this story, I just sort of s sat there and, and shook my head. And I realized I could never be an MD. I mean, I could never call myself a doctor if this was what it, you know, what it meant to hand out drugs and to, and to blame the patient for my lack of knowledge, to say that they're depressed when I actually induced all their problems. Maybe not the original one they came to me for, but uh, somebody did at some point if they were given antibiotics. Um, but you know, I just, I'm so thankful to be uh, in the field I am, doing what I'm doing, and being able to help people. And uh, you know, this is not something that MDs are not aware of either. Um, you know, if we look at preterm births. My, my twins were born uh, at 25 weeks, so that was a good 15 weeks. Um, and they survived, and it was five months in the neonatal intensive care unit. But I had the doctors come up there. I had the heads um, of the departments come up to me, and, and they would tell me, you know, I wish I did what you did. I would really like to help people. And, uh, you know, it was just like, you know, not, not, not nothing that I knew, but also something that was kind of not that any parent would want to hear, these are the doctors watching your kids in this uh, critical condition, but um, you know, that they didn't really feel that they could help people as much as I was helping people. But uh, there you go. Um, so, you know, I just mentioned that because it was just really, I was really kind of taken back by, um, you know, the, the distress that this woman was in, the response by her doctor, 
and the really lack of, you know, how could, how could you be uh, a doctor when you couldn't help people? You know, I, I think there was, in what he was doing, there was definitely a, a lack of the basic knowledge of human physiology and function, a lack of knowledge of what the medications could do and what they were doing. And, you know, to me, medication, um, MD means medication dispenser, because many times that's all it is. You go to them with problems and they just hand you medications. And at some point down the road, you're not going to need to see an MD. I mean, that's already moving in that direction. Um, they're looking at uh, nurse practitioners as being the ones who write the prescriptions, and but you don't really even need them. If you have someone, if you can check off a list of symptoms, and all it is is giving you an antibiotic, you don't need a you don't need a doctor to do that. All you need is a machine. Um, so eventually, I think it will move in that direction. But uh, you know, I'm glad to say, you know, uh, I think this woman's going to have improvement in her health. I think she has a bit of a struggle ahead of her based on where she's at, um, but um, she hasn't been able to work for four months, and um, I think she's going to be going back to work in a, in a few weeks. Uh, she has a good work ethic. She's going to make it back. She really wants to be healthy. She wants to work. Uh, she wants to be productive with her life, and I've seen this many times where people who were unemployed and unemployable regain their health and go back to work, and whereas many people will kind of complain about their job and complain about working. These people are so happy and so enthusiastic to be able to be productive in life, to be able to support themselves. And, you know, I, this is what we're going to see in this case, I'm sure of it. And, you know, that's, it's a great, it's great to be doing what I'm doing. So, um, um, I did announce last week that we were going to have our new website up. Of course, uh, that didn't happen. And for the usual reasons, different, uh, glitches and so we caught those before it went live thank god and uh, uh but the new website is coming plenty of blog posts videos um, faqs all in one location very beautiful site very functional we're excited about it um this is uh we're getting to here to the end of this uh podcast um you can uh, also check us out on our facebook group um dr mccombs candida plan that's on facebook check us out follow us on twitter google plus cure zone we're out there in a variety of other forums. We've been doing this for a long time. This is our fifth podcast. Uh, you can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud. And eventually the podcast will all be on our website as well. Thank you for uh, tuning in. And we hope that uh, you will join us again next week for another episode on the Candida Chronicles. Thank you for listening.